Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Psalm 89. Psalm 89. Into great darkness came the light of the world. And the light overwhelmed the darkness. Though the darkness tried to snuff out the light, the light rose again. And so we look back now at Christmas with celebration. But we need to remember that while we look back with celebration, before Messiah came, his people were looking for him in desperation. The Jewish people under the heavy Roman heel, uh, oppressed in darkness, calling for and claiming the promises of God, waiting for the Messiah. It's so tragic how many of them, most of them, missed their Messiah the first time that he came. But Jesus came at a time of great darkness and a great struggle. Now, all of us are engaged today in a tug of war between the pain of this life and the promises of God. And that struggle, that tension, that tug of war tests our faith, but it also exposes our faith. It exposes what or who we are really trusting in. Whether we're trusting in comfort, whether we're trusting uh, in easy living, or whether we're trusting in the giver of life, whether we're trusting in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so while we struggle in the darkness, we have to be looking for the light posts that God has planted, and God's promises are those light posts. The Bible speaks about the promises of God and the reality of this tug of war and struggle, not in some type of... uh, philosophical, metaphysical way, but in the real suffering of real men and real women. One of the greatest examples in human history is the man named Job, possibly the first of the books of the Bible ever written. Uh, I believe one of the first six, because I agree with uh, many of the rabbis in that Moses most likely wrote Job when he was writing the first five books of the Bible. We can't declare that with certainty, but regardless of who wrote Job, Job was a real person. The Bible speaks of him as a real person, not a mythical character, not some type of fable to tell believers so that they have the hope so. But a man who really struggled and really wrestled with God and really questioned God. And yet, as I said this morning, Job thirteen fifteen, though he slay me, Job said, Yet will I trust in him, that I will maintain mine own ways before him. Job was a man of great faith, and tonight we are going to continue our study of Psalm 89 as we consider what it means to praise God in dark times. Most of the men and women in our scriptures endured dark times endured difficult times. There were seasons. There were seasons in the Old Testament where God was blessing the people because a godly judge had taken the reins or because a godly king and those were fewer few and far between. But a godly king was on the throne and he was living a godly lifestyle at the time. But even during the reign of David, even during the reign of Solomon, There were seasons where they slipped into sin and the people began to enter darkness, even in those great times of blessing. And so that is no different than what we see here in Psalm 89. Last week, we began to look at Psalm 89, written 
by the second wisest man. I believe the Bible indicates that to us in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 31. The second wisest man in all of Israel during the reign of Solomon and a man who outlived Solomon and wrote uh, Psalm 89 after the death of Solomon, most likely during uh, the time of Rehoboam's reign when Israel was invaded because of Rehoboam's sin, was invaded uh, by Egypt, uh, King Shishak of Egypt. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 12 details those events. And it looked like at that time, after the glory of the reign of David, and, and really the even greater glory of the reign of, of Solomon, that because of the wickedness of Rehoboam, the foolishness, first of all, that divided the kingdom, but then the wickedness of Rehoboam after the division of the kingdom and in his temporary prosperity, he thought he didn't need God and the people began to follow Rehoboam. And so God allowed the king of Egypt to come against them and to discipline and to judge them. And so this wise man named Ethan, Ethan the Ezraite, who we're told in Psalm 89 is the author of this song by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is calling out to God in the darkness, praising God in the dark times he lived in, and calling on God to remember his promises. And as I asked you last week, what do we do when God's promises seem uncertain? When we lose sight of the lamppost because maybe we're standing in the wrong direction. We're not looking towards the light. We're looking away from the light, and we're trying to find our way in the darkness and we've lost sight of the lampposts, the promises that God has given us to move us forward. What songs do we sing when we are struggling? Do we just sing melancholy, sad songs to make ourselves feel even more despondent? Or do we sing the praises of God? And last week we began to see uh, how to maintain hope in the uncertain times. Just as Ethan faced uncertain times, we today... Uh, you would have to be living under, under a rock not to understand the uh, level of inflation and the moral wickedness and all of the struggles as we have uh, wars and rumors of wars uh, raging around the world, uh, threats of war. We have uh, people in power threatening that if we don't continue to send uh, financial aid to the tune of billions of dollars to Ukraine that uh, that they'll send our sons and daughters to Russia. That, that's the threat that they're making to try to bleed even more out of us to uh, fund their war machines. Not that we should not be praying for what's going on in Ukraine. Not that we should not be praying for what's going on uh, in Israel. Certainly we should be praying. But what is our song during the wars and rumors of war? Where is our hope? How do we maintain certain hope when we face uncertain times? Well, let's remind ourselves as we read the beginning of this psalm what we saw last week. And so look with me in Psalm 89, verse 1. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Now, if we just stop there, we would think, hey, this is just a, a, an old-fashioned praise song. And just a song, this guy's happy and he's celebrating. But the song goes on to tell us the reality of the circumstances. And he goes on to say, For I have said, Mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. Now he's, he's prophesying. This is God speaking through Ethan. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations Selah, which which most likely means stop and think about this, focus on this, meditate on this. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders. Verse five, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints for who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Lord, God of hosts. Who is a strong Lord like unto thee or to thy faithfulness round about thee? Thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the ways thereof arise, thou stillest them. 
again, as I said last week, a prophecy of what Jesus would do when he said, peace, be still. When Jesus calmed the storms, he was saying, I am the God of Psalm 89. Verse 10, thou hast broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. I don't have time tonight to go into Rahab and the identity of Rahab. Uh, there are discussions on, on what that is speaking of. Um, I, I believe it's probably a, uh, a demonic entity that had been defeated. We, we don't have time to go into all that, but he's, he's stressing God's victory and God's power uh, over uh, the forces of evil. Verse 11, the heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The north and the south thou hast created them. Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in thy name. Thou hast a mighty arm. Strong is thy hand. High is thy right hand. You know, uh, Hermon uh, was a mountain associated with the fallen angels. And God is saying, even in this place that has become identified with the fallen ones, even in this place which has been identified at the base of Hermon, the gates of Hades, a place of worship for Pluto in later times, but God says, even in the strongholds of Satan on this earth, I will be praised. I will take back the strongholds that he has right now. The places of worship that he has set aside for himself, that the demons have set aside for themselves, I will take those back. I will be praised there. Justice, verse 14, and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day. In thy righteousness shall they be exalted. For thou art the glory of their strength. And in thy favor our horns shall be exalted. For the Lord is our defense. And the Holy One of Israel is our King. Now, again, we're, we're not going to stop there tonight. We stopped there last week. If we were just to take these first 18 verses, we would not recognize we would not even see the struggle that Ethan is going through and it's a lesson for us and it's a model for us that when we are going through dark times our our starting point should not be our struggle our starting point should be the glory and the power and the majesty of God and the praise of God that's where he begins this is a this is a man who's who's lived a life He's been around for a while. Again, he was uh, uh, noteworthy. He was famous in the not only the nation, but in the region outside of Israel. The Bible tells us, 1 Kings 4.31, he was famous as a man of wisdom. And so he had established that even during the reign of Solomon. And now we're after the reign of Solomon. He is most likely very near the end of his life. And as an old man, he's learned some things. And he says, you know what? I'm a praise God. I'm going to. I'm going to remind myself and everybody who sings this song after me just how great and glorious and supreme and transcendent God is. And then we'll talk about what's pulling us in the other direction. Then we'll talk about the pain, but I'm going to focus first and foremost on the promises of God. Let me just very quickly remind you what we saw last week in verse 1. We saw that we must sing the mercies and the faithfulness of the Lord if we want to maintain hope in uncertain times, we start with that. We start with his faithfulness, his mercy, and we sing about it. We sing about it to ourselves. We sing about it to one another. Number two, verses two and three, we remember God's covenant with David, that God made a promise to David. And that promise is a, is a promise of an everlasting throne, that a king would come from David's loins who will rule forever and we know his name now his name is Jesus and we celebrate this season his birth but we don't stop at his birth because he as a man grew up and he died on a cross to pay for our sins and he rose again victorious from the grave literally physically walked out of that grave as the glorious resurrected God man and now he is extending forgiveness of sins and eternal life to every single person who will turn from their sin and turn to Jesus. 
You can be forgiven of your sin. You can have eternal life. If you will trust in him, you put your faith in him. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You just got to go all in on Jesus. Trust in him and him alone. The Bible word is repent. That means you change your mind about your sin. You say, Jesus, I'm a a guilty sinner and I want to be forgiveness. I want to turn from my sin and turn to you. You don't fix yourself. You come to him and he'll fix you. You You can't clean yourself up without him. You come to him and he cleans you up. And we remember God's covenant with David because it is the promise of Jesus, the king, the Messiah. Number three, verse four, we focus on that eternal throne of David's house and not on the temporary thrones of men's kingdoms. We don't get we, we get involved in politics, but we don't become dependent. We don't get all uh, uh, caught up in, in the sense that our hope is in a politician. Our hope is in a king. Our hope is in a prince or a governor. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in the eternal throne. And then, as we saw last week, we praise and fear God in the congregation like the angels praising in heaven. I know you can praise God in your car by yourself while you're driving to work in the morning or while you're uh, uh, driving to pick your kids up from school. I know you can praise God by yourself when you're at home alone, laying in bed, trying to wake up or trying to fall asleep. And your, and your spouse is, is maybe right there asleep. Or maybe you're completely alone, but you're never alone if you know Jesus Christ. And you can praise Him alone. I know that. And you should be praying and praising in those circumstances. But God wants us to gather together. We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. We gather publicly to praise Him because it says something to the world When they drive by this building and they see the lights on, even if they can't hear us or when they're scrolling on their feed and all of a sudden this message pops up on somebody's Facebook feed, even if they just keep scrolling right on by, it is a message that God is being praised in Cumberland, not just here, of course, not just in this building, not just in this body, but we are here as a public testimony that God is worthy of our praise. And that's why we gather publicly, not just to uh, encourage one another and love one another. That's part of it, too. It's not just one or the other. But we need to remember the importance of gathering publicly to praise and to worship the source of every good and every perfect gift. Now, that is what we saw last time we were together concerning our praiseworthy, powerful promise keeper. But let's continue to look at how to maintain certain hope in uncertain times and our focus is going to begin to shift tonight into how to praise God in the dark times look with me in verses 19 through 29 Ethan says thou then thou spakest in visions to thy holy one and sayest I have laid help upon one that is mighty I have exalted one chosen out of the people I have found David my servant With my holy oil have I anointed him. Do you remember that he was just a kid when this happened? Just a young teenage boy. He wasn't a grown man who had accomplished great things and had a great resume. He was a shepherd boy. The youngest of a herd of brothers. And we could go in tonight as to the reasons why, but whatever the reasons, his father did not favor him. In fact, when the prophet Samuel came to his father, Jesse, and said, bring all your boys, he didn't even bother to bring David. He didn't even bother. And yet this young man, dealing with a dysfunctional relationship with his dad, God said, I'll be your dad. I'll be your father. You'll be my servant. God chose David. And he anointed, he had the prophet Samuel anoint him with holy oil. With whom, verse 21, my hand shall be established. Mine arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. He didn't have anything to worry about when he stood before the giant Goliath. He didn't have to worry about anything because God had placed his hand on David's life. And David could stand before Goliath. He said, you, who do you think you are to come curse my God? 
Who do you think you are? You, th- you think I'm scared of you? I see the God standing behind you, standing above you. And he's going to help me use this little smooth stone to take you down, to take you down, put you down. The enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. And I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. But my faithfulness and mercy shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand also in the seas and his right hand in the rivers. He shall cry unto me. Thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn. Higher than the kings of the earth. See, that title, firstborn, it, it is a title. It doesn't mean the first one who is born. It doesn't mean the, the first one out, out to come out of mama's womb. It doesn't mean that. It means the one who is given the responsibility to carry on the legacy and to care for the family after dad is gone. And so for Abraham, the firstborn was not the firstborn Ishmael. It was the firstborn. Isaac, the child of promise. And for Isaac, it was not his firstborn Esau. It was the firstborn, the one God chose, Jacob. And for Jacob, Israel, it wasn't Reuben, the firstborn. It was the firstborn, Judah, the fourth, actually, who was the one that God chose to be the one who would carry this promise through which he would send the Messiah. And so David also, the youngest, is now the firstborn because he is the one that God will make responsible over Israel, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever and his throne as the days of heaven. That's why David matters. Not because he was some king a long time ago who did great things. You know, greater than King Arthur. He's just a fictional guy. Oh, maybe parts of Arthur's life are based on this general or that ruler. Historians debate, but generally speaking, they're agreed that most of what we know about King Arthur is just myth and legend and stuff that was completely made up to tell a good story. King David's the real deal. But he doesn't matter because he's the real deal. He matters because God chose him through which to establish his eternal throne for his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus would come through David. That's why Jerusalem matters, friends. It's why the city of Jerusalem matters. It's why who is in control of Jerusalem matters. Because that's, that's Jesus' throne. That's Jesus' city. That's Jesus' nation. He's the king of Israel. They are rejecting him right now. That's why they've got all the problems they've got. And we need to pray for them. We, we need to pray, number one, that more of them come to know their Messiah, Jesus, as Savior and as Lord. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, there are some missionaries, I won't give their names, but um, missionaries in Israel. Uh, I'm not going to give their names because you're not allowed to be a missionary in Israel, but they have been missionaries in Israel for a long time. And uh, they have a, a business there that allows them to travel around the country and they work with some of the churches and uh, it's it's amazing the that there is a revival going on not just among the Jewish people there but among the people who are living uh, Jew and Gentile Jew and Arab coming to know Jesus Messiah and the church is, there's there's more Christians now in Israel than there has been since the first century which should tell you something folks it should tell you that the time for the Gentile church is almost up. And by up, I mean up. <laughs> I mean up and out. Jesus is coming back and he will rule from his throne in Jerusalem over not only Israel, but all the nations of the world. God made him that promise and God doesn't break his promise. And certainly not to his only begotten son. God's promises weren't just to Abraham but to Abraham and his seed, Galatians tells us, Jesus, Messiah. And here, Ethan tells us, God's promises were not just to David, but to David and his seed, the seed of the eternal throne. And that is the hope that we have for not only Israel, 
but for all the world, ourselves included. Now, what is he doing here by listing all of these things and by covering all of these historical events and prophetic events? Ethan is giving us a model that when we are in the dark times, we must return to the promises of God. He moves back and forth between preaching and prophesying here. He's preaching and he's prophesying. And then he's preaching and he's saying, guys, you need to remember one of the chief jobs of the preacher is to remind you of what you already know in God's word. The promises that you already know. And hopefully you learn some new things that as we study together, hopefully you see some new things that you didn't see before. But the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm writing you things I've already told you because I'm about to die and you need a reminder. We all need reminders. Return to the promises of God. And so just consider God through his prophet chose and anointed David to be king. That's 1 Samuel chapter 13 and 1 Samuel chapter 16. God, through his prophet, gave David the covenant of an eternal throne. Remember, David wanted to build a temple to God. And at first, Nathan the prophet said, that sounds like a great idea. And then Nathan went home and God said, uh, Nathan, bad advice, bad advice, because you, you should have prayed about that before you told him, because I, he is not going to build my house. I'll let his son build my house. But he's a man of war, a man of blood. But here's what I do want you to tell him. I want you to tell him that I'm going to establish his throne forever. I'm going to make a covenant with David that David can't screw up. And by the way, his descendants couldn't screw up either. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. Again, 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you want to dive deeper into that. Number three, God consistently and relentlessly protected and elevated David. And by the way, he did that not only before David's sin, but even after David's sin with Bathsheba. He still protected David because he made a promise to David and to David's seed. You think God's going to break his promise to Jesus Christ because of David's sin or Solomon's sin or Rehoboam's sin or all the way down the line? Absolutely not, because God made a promise. If God didn't break his promise to David because of David's sin, why would he do it because of his grandson's sin or because of his great, 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 great grandson's sin, whichever king that was? I'm not, I didn't, didn't count that out, all right? So if I landed on one of the good ones, you forgive me there. But God consistently and relentlessly protected David and elevated David. And remember, again, number four, God took the youngest of eight brothers forgotten and despised by his father, and he made David the firstborn of Israel, the leader of the nation. And it was through David that God would send. And now we celebrate uh, at Christmas God's firstborn, Jesus Christ, who will reign forever. And is there any doubt that God is a promise keeper when he raised his son from the dead? That's why we say in second in second Corinthians chapter one, all the promises of God are yes. In Jesus, Paul says it's not yet. It's not yes to this one and no to this one. All of the promises are fulfilled or are being fulfilled and will be fulfilled because there's still some promises we're waiting for, but they will all be fulfilled. Yes, in and through the God man, our Messiah, King Jesus Christ. Now. Let's talk about the dark times, verses 30 and following. If his children, if David's children forsake my law, if his grandchildren, if his great-grandchildren, if his great-great-grandchildren, if they forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. I'm going to deal with their sin. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, from David, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, not by their holiness, by my holiness, God says, I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever. And his throne as the sun before me, it shall be 
established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven, Selah. Ethan says, God wants me to tell you, God wants me to let you know, when you look up at night and you see the moon, you remember there will be a king who will reign forever from Israel. Sometimes the moon is hidden by the clouds, but you still know it's up there. So when the darkness comes, you think about the moon. You don't always see the moon. Sometimes it's just a crescent moon. Sometimes it's, it's being covered in darkness. But it didn't go anywhere. It's still there. And God is saying to us, a powerful image. You think about that every time you look up and see the moon. My promise is that my king will reign. My king will reign forever on the throne of David, his father. So what do we do with the sins of his descendants then? What do we do? Now, there are some people who don't think that the Ethan that wrote this is the Ethan of 1 Kings. They think it's some other guy named who just has the same name and title who wrote later in uh, Israel's history after the uh, Babylonian captivity. And he's writing and thinking that all of this, all of these things have already happened. But I want you to notice he's talking about this in the future tense. He's talking about this in the future tense. He is prophesying to us about what will happen. It was happening in the days of Rehoboam, but it, he knew by the, by the revelation of God, this is, Rehoboam's not the last one who's going to screw up. So what is God going to do in the future? God is going to bring discipline. So here's what I would tell you to do. Number six. See the discipline of sin as evidence of God's faithfulness, not the absence of God's faithfulness. Now, we talk about God's disciplining our sin. Hebrews chapter 12 is actually a quote is actually a quotation and an explanation of, of something that Solomon wrote uh, back in Proverbs. But in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews reminds us. That we're going to be disciplined by God if we're his children. If God's not disciplining you, you're not his kids. You're illegitimate. You're not truly saved. If you're truly saved and you sin and you screw up, God's not going to kick you out of the family, but he's going to bring the whip. He's going to pull off the belt. I'm not wearing my belt tonight, so I can't whip it out for an illustration. I, I never used the belt on my son, but God has used the belt on me, okay? God has used the belt on me. And so when... I see my own sin, i got to know God's disciplining me. But here's, here's what Psalm 89 is emphasizing. you got to remember that God disciplines others as well. And sometimes, like Ethan, like what's happening to Ethan, we get caught in the wake of God's disciplining others. And it feels like God's disciplining us. But it's not us, if it's not our sin that's being dealt with, it's not us who's being disciplined. But we sometimes still have to deal with how God disciplines others. That's why you better be prayerful and wise about who you marry. And I know most of us already made that choice, right? But you better, you better make sure your kids know that, your grandkids know that. You better be praying for that. Because you don't just marry one person, you marry a family. And you are marrying somebody that when God disciplines them, guess what? You're in the same bed, you're in the same house. Maybe you're on the couch, but you're in the same house. You're going to get some of that discipline too. You're going to have to pay for some of that too. Not because God is angry with you or disciplining you, but because God is disciplining them. Sometimes we live in, in dark times because God is bringing discipline on a nation as what's happening here. This isn't just about a family issue, although it was a family issue, Rehoboam, David's family. But God is disciplining the nation because it wasn't just Rehoboam's sin. Uh, Chronicles tells us that it was the sin of Rehoboam that was leading the other leaders into sin and all the nation was just going right along with it is what we see happening today. All the people going right along with it. By all I mean, generally speaking. Not all, obviously. Ethan wasn't. Others weren't. There were faithful. There's always those who have not bowed the knee. There's always the remnant that has not bowed the knee to Baal. But they got to suffer when the nation suffers because of sin. They got to suffer too. 
And we have to, we're going through some suffering right now. It hasn't gotten too bad just yet. And I pray the Lord gets us out of here before it does. But you better believe that God is going to discipline this nation for its wickedness, for its perversion, for its celebration of perversion, for its defense and evangelism of perversion. We're the number one world exporter of pornography. We're the, we're the nation that's trying to impose our wicked, perverted view of gender and sexuality on African nations saying, hey, we're going to withhold your financial aid if you don't conform to our perversion and, and sell your soul. God's going to deal with that. You better believe it. And our job here as the church is to be salt and light and to, and to stand in the gap and pray that God's wrath uh, holds so not just so that we can be comfortable, folks, so that people will get saved, so that people can repent. It's why God, it's why God hasn't dropped the hammer yet, because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is giving more and more time to repent. But the problem is fewer and fewer uh, in the church are, are sending out the message that people need to repent. More and more of the church have just fallen into the whole Laodicean mindset. Let's just be comfortable and let's just make people feel happy and welcomed and let's not worry about sin. Listen, we, we tell people about the reality of sin because sin is what's is what's breaking them. Sin is what sin is what's break, breaking all of us. The, the, the hardest days I've had in my life are because of my own sin. And the consequences of that. And you do things because you think it's going to make you feel better. And maybe it does for a season because sin is fun for a season, but then you have to pay the price of that. We have to remember sin is disciplined by God and we have to see his discipline, not as evidence that he has abandoned us, but that God is demonstrating his faithfulness. And sometimes we need to remember that when God's disciplining our husband or our, our wives or, or, and this is really, really hard. I know some of you have gone through this. Some of you are going through this when God disciplines our kids and we, and, and we're trying to stand in the gap and pray for our kids. And we're, we're suffering the pain, right? Because a mama is never happier than the condition of her child who is struggling the most. I know that I've heard that said way more poetically than I just got it out. But did you get the meaning of what I was trying to say there? You got one, whether you got one kid or seven kids, if one of them is struggling, mama's, mama's struggling, right? Dad is too, but mama feels it more. Because I didn't carry Elijah in my belly. All right. We struggle, though, because our kids are struggling. And so when God is disciplining our kids, we, we feel the weight of that. And but we have to remember that God's discipline is his faithfulness. God's discipline is his faithfulness. God's discipline is his faithfulness. And so we have to number seven, as we shared this morning from Psalm 42 and 43, you got to take your questions to God. You have to honestly ask your questions. God, why is this happening? What, what, what are you going to do? How long, Lord? How long? But then you have to call on him to keep these promises. And again, Ethan is not just observing the present as we read through these verses. He is prophesying the future. The, he sees prophetically the end of the Davidic line, at least as it appears. And King Zedekiah, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, was the last to sit on the throne until Jesus comes back in the second coming. So there has been a pretty big gap there in terms of someone on the throne of David. But it's also prophetic as we read these verses. I want you to think about this, of the momentary apparent, apparent rejection of Jesus on the cross. As in Matthew 27, 46, he's crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So listen to these verses as we read them and, and consider that. Verse 38, but thou hast cast off and abhorred. Thou hast been wroth with thine anointed. Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant. Thou hast profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. Let me stop here just for a second. There's a reason that we didn't get here until verse 37. See, Ethan wants us to remember and know who God is and what God is like, and he's going to claim those promises and claim those promises. But now we've got to take the questions to God. Now we've got to deal with the, that, that tension, that tug of war between the pain we're feeling and the promises God has made to us. Verse 40, thou hast broken down all the hedges. 
All of David's hedges. Thou hast brought his strongholds to ruin. All that passed by the way spoil him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. Thou hast set up the right hand of his adversaries. Thou hast made all his enemies to rejoice. Thou hast also turned the edge of his sword and hast not made him to stand in the battle. Thou hast made his glory to cease and cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth hast thou shortened. Thou hast covered him with shame. Selah. Again, prophesying into the future. He's just talking about what he is seeing, but now he's prophesying again into the future. And he says, I want Selah. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the reality that in the dark times, it's going to look like God's promises have failed. Just be aware of that. Just know that going into it. There are going to be times in your life when it feels like God is not keeping his promises. When God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And you're going, God, where are you? God says, if any man lack wisdom, you ask of God, and he'll give to give to all men liberally. And you said, God, I've been asking, and I still don't know what to do. There are going to be times when it seems like God is silent, when it seems like God is absent, but he is not. Verse 46, how long, O Lord, wilt thou hide thyself forever? Shall thy wrath burn like fire? Remember, remember God, remember your promises. God wants us to remember his promises so that we can take those promises back to him. Remember how short my time is. Wherefore hast thou made all men in vain? What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his own soul from the hand of the grave? Lord, where are thy former loving kindness, which thou swear unto David in thy truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of thy servants, how I do bear in my bosom the reproach of all the mighty people, wherewith thine enemies have reproached, O Lord, wherewith have they reproached the footsteps of thine anointed he's saying i am he's saying i'm so sick of what i see going on in my country what i what is happening to israel and no this was not written yesterday this was written thousands of years ago but if you love israel and if especially for those believers who are in israel and who are living this right now Feeling this in their bosom. They're sick to their stomach is what he said. I'm sick to my stomach about what is happening to my country. And the reproach of the enemies of God, it seems like they're, they're prospering. It seems like they're prospering. But notice how he ends this song. Don't forget how he began it. God is great. God is all powerful. But notice how he ends it here in verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forever amen and amen what's he doing i will take my questions to you god and i'm going to remind you of your promises and then i will commit myself to praise you lord while i wait for your answer i will com- i will make the commitment god that I will keep praising you. I will keep magnifying your name. I will keep blessing the name of the Lord forever and ever while I wait for your answer. While I wait for you to work. While I wait for the fog to clear and for the light to be clear. While I wait for the fog to clear and I can see that moon shining again and I can remind myself, Jesus is coming back. That's what we're saying looking back. He's looking forward saying, the King is coming. The King is coming. By the way, we're also we're looking back and forward, right? The king came, the king's coming again. He came once, he came, he came, we celebrated every year at this time, at this season, but he's coming again. No points in the manger if there's no fulfillment of the promise to King David that he will reign forever and ever. Our hope isn't just heaven. Our hope is heaven on earth. Our hope is heaven on earth. Ruling and reigning with the King of kings and Lord of lords. You have to remember, as Isaiah says, God says to us in Isaiah 55, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I see the big picture. You don't see the big picture. Parents, grandparents, our kids are a reminder of this. We see, the, we see a bigger picture than they can see when they're little, when they're tiny. We're trying to get them to trust us. Trust me. Just Please, don't put your hand in the toilet. Just trust me. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Just trust me. I washed his hands. You don't have to worry about it, okay? 
You don't have to worry about it. I'm a PK, so I had stories told about me too. Amen, Steve. Right? We get yeah. So it's just part of part of the deal. Just trust me. God's saying that to us. Just I see the big picture. I I see things you don't see. I see how things. I see everything and how it connects. So just trust me. Ethan did not see the victory and the suffering of the Messiah. He didn't see how God could keep his promise, how God was going to keep his promise. But he surrendered his questions to the throne of grace and he kept praising God. We said it this morning. I'll say it again as we close. First Thessalonians 516. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. In the dark times. Rejoice. In the darkness. Rejoice. In the pain that is pulling you seemingly away from the promises of God. Rejoice, claim the promises, and keep your hope certain by keeping it focused on the infinite, all-powerful God. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that you are the rock. You are the eternal, unchanging God. And God, it's so easy as we see the struggles of this life that you told us were coming. You said in this world you will have tribulation. But God, it's so easy to take our eyes off of you in those times of trials, to, to look at the crashing waves around us and to and be consumed by the pain that we're feeling and take our eyes off the promises of God. But God, help us to remember you are the promise keeper. You have kept your promises to David and to his seed, and you have resurrected his seed, and you are sending his seed back to us to come get us, and then to set up his kingdom after that on earth with us, to bring us back to earth with him, to set up his kingdom, to make everything right. Father, help us to keep our focus on you and to keep our praises for you coming. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. We're not going to sing, but I just want to give you an opportunity. If you have a need, uh, to do business with God. If you need to pray with somebody or just come to the altar to pray or if you just need to pray right where you are, we want to give you just a few moments to talk to God and do business with Him. Father, you love us so much that you sent your only begotten son into this world of darkness to be the light of the world, to give us hope, hope to the hopeless, a father to the fatherless, peace to the restless. Father, we praise you and we praise your son, Jesus Christ, God with us, our Emmanuel, who suffered and suffers with us. Father, we thank you for the debt that he paid on the cross and paying for our sins. And God, I, th I thank you for your salvation and for your forgiveness. I thank you for saving me as a child, for saving my wife, for saving my son. Father, I thank you, God, for the hope of eternal life today. And that you have when I have been faithless, God, you have been faithful. You have never left me. You have never forsaken me in my dark times, in my rebellious times, in my times of doubt and question. God, you have remained faithful. You are my Emmanuel, God with me. And I praise you for that and thank you. And God, I just pray that your spirit would right now be working in the hearts of each and every person here. God, I don't see into anybody's heart, but I see 
God, that you are seeing into each of our hearts. And so, God, I pray each and every one of us is receptive to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us right now, whether it's a need for forgiveness and salvation, a need for encouragement in, in a time of struggle, a need for repentance if we're struggling with a sin issue, a need for comfort and joy in a time of sorrow. God, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And you will answer those who sincerely call on you, and we praise you for that as well. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you, Lord willing. We'll see you on Wednesday night uh, for our uh, prayer meeting at 6.30 while the kids are having one at 6.15. Uh, remember, next Sunday morning we'll have our cantata. Next Sunday evening will be our Christmas program. And then uh, I won't be preaching next Sunday evening. We'll go from the Christmas program over to a time of fellowship. So I hope that you're all here for that uh, to encourage the kids and uh, to be a support to them and uh, to be blessed as well because uh, it's going to be a great program and uh, just encourage you to be there. God bless you. You are dismissed. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful. Thank you.